0: This is Shaka Smart speak. They have to think about like, how does the public hear it? So it's not just like, is it good? It's like, okay, because we funded you to make this album, mm-hmm. now what you've produced has to be like, um, it has to be filtered through the public's perception of what they think is good. Mm-hmm. And, and one of his, one of the big criteria was like, you know, um, and it makes sense in his role. Um, I think I knew what he was meaning by it, but if you, if you're not teasing it out, it can be tricky. He's like one of the criteria is it, it's good, it's useful, and then it's nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like something being, or, um, no, sorry, kind, kind was the word, um, but those those are two different definitions even in themselves, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, but that's the whole thing. That's his job as an A and R. Like, if you put out a song, like if you if you're if you're bringing in like a quarter million per album, and you put out a song that offends like half of your listenership, and the company just invested all this money for you to make something. Mm-hmm. that the company's losing money you're yep. losing money there you go so from a purely like pragmatic standpoint it makes sense
1: if you're a big label to have one yeah but man it's just did he give a talk on that because like i didn't you know we didn't get to get there did he give a talk on that? it in was morning? in the morning yeah yeah, i would like to have heard that yeah it, it
0: was more on just like you know like he's um you have to take you know these names um I and mean, there's some pretty decent sized names in certain you know communities and uh and you, you like are thinking about like how their brand it comes off mm-hmm. it's like it struck me as like it's like a necessary thing that you have to do and I'm, I'm sure like you know like sometimes you you get a platform and not all artists come from like you know if you live in richmond you can be kind of grassroots to a degree because there's like all types of like artists and producers that are like doing side hustle work that are like oh yeah we'll we'll bring you in and you can pay you know a reasonable amount and we'll mm-hmm. get you out there but not everyone comes from that some people go yeah. from like backwoods that's georgia that's why i like that's <laughs> why
1: i like i mean so it was interesting i listened to a uh, couple talks with josh carrolls mm-hmm. um and uh because i was meeting with a guy that interviewed him so i was like one of I was like i'll listen to this one this will be good and um he's doggedly like um you know you could you could tell like he's real idiosyncratic which you'd expect from his music Mm -hmm. um and there's the one out i forget which album is it's so i just think it's really good um and he is like anal attentive probably about his music but that happened i mean i'm sure andrew bird is too so i'm like yeah there's a thing high level skill high level vision high level like when those all come together it produces things and you'll like it or you won't but it'll be done well yeah um and he was like he talks about how he he would like like he had tried having like a management team after having managed himself Mm. and it was like great guys you know they seemed square really well but he's like at the at the end like they just couldn't do it the way i was doing it and i didn't want to travel that much because my family matters like he started laying all these things and he's like, and I wasn't going to sign with a label and then sign away my ability to prioritize my family. So yeah. he starts breaking this down and he's like, so all of those constraints, he's like, I travel, I forget what he said. He's like, I'll do like so many shows in one month. And then I don't show, I don't play for, you know, four months. And then I do a show. I do a yeah. run of shows and then I don't play for four months. Like, but all of it was about, um, having total sort of, uh, sovereignty over his music which means he can make the songs he wants to make and let the chips fall where they may. It was just interesting to hear him talk kind of openly about it. And, um, and so he's sort of and he, and he talk and he was implicating what you're talking about as far as like with the A&R, you know, the whole nine um, people are fallible, man, you know, like people have been wrong about, about great art oftentimes good, great art actually is misunderstood in the beginning. And then it, because it's, it doesn't hit your familiar familiarity receptors and reinforce your already assumed yeah. givens about that, which it is. And so then it's like it's jolting cause it hits you sideways and then it takes time and then it takes other people that are like more attuned to whatever that is to give you feedback. And then you're like, Oh, the audience loves it. It's good. Yeah. We had no idea. Yeah. you know it's just interesting to think about this play and do you like laura got a cd for our girls last thing i'll say is she's got a CD for our girls and it's someone that homie we saw um i'm just uh what's his name what was his name that we that, that did the talk um Andrew just, uh, yeah singer, andrew yeah, yeah. Okay. my brain is just whoa so andrew knows her or worked with her or is friends with her husband or i forget how he, he shared it but laura had recently got this cd and like, she's made up in a way that you're like, you wonder if, you wonder if you're just forced to do some of this, to look a certain way. Like if that gets folded into like this record label production production, process. production so that you can be kind looking and they're like, well, what does aesthetically kind look like? Well, got to have makeup on, you know, you got to look presentable. got to look a little, you know, all of a sudden all of that's being manicured. And it's like, so that you can get like 60% of your musical vision out there because it's already compromised so it's interesting it's like and so like you you wonder they're like almost two different streams this is this is the whole indie indie music response in uh 2002 and it kind of started to percolate in the 90s because the 90s was the economic fallout and so you started to get indie gallery spaces really that's what nonprofits were and then indie um indie musical artists that created parody with like record labels. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, we've got this other thing. And now
2: that's where the good music's coming from. We're gonna have to change.
1: Yeah.
2: So there's a whole stream of literature within the the space of like art and business um where they like are pretty much addressing this conversation. Um mm-hmm. and what they say is there's there's two ways the two can intersect. Mm-hmm. Uh it's either through sponsorship or partnership. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no other like when you boil it down, like that's what happens. Um, and the, I think the most vocal, the ones who are most like, uh, courageous, I guess, um, writers in the field actually say like, when it's sponsorship, it's no longer art. Um, when it's sponsored, it's not art. Mm -hmm. It's something else because, because the impetus, the drive and the force doesn't come from artistic pursuit. Mm -hmm. It comes from something else. Mm -hmm. And the sponsorship usually comes from, Hey, we've got this investment we've got to make it back plus X percent. Yeah, And if we don't make back X percent, the next time we're going to drop what we give you by this or just drop you completely
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, because we can't make it back. We need to like,
0: someone needs to like write something or do something on like, what does it mean to be a middle class
2: artist? Well, I think, you know, you look back at like sponsorship versus partnership and you have like Michelangelo versus Van Gogh, right? Like Michelangelo, hugely skilled, really great, amazing, but he's being told what to make right? He's like, yeah, hey, go, yeah, go, churches, uh, go. Make this. Thing. Got a lot of dictation. You order. know, the Medici family's like, Hey, uh, we want this in the foyer. Yeah. So come on. Doesn't change what skill he had. Yeah. Right, or yeah. What he was, as or like vision he had with relationship to what he was being provoked. Right. But it does have a question of like, but would he have made things a little bit more differently or, or something yeah, else? Right. right yeah, but, yeah. but it also comes into the conversation of, um, in this idea of sponsorship versus partnership, we see it really easily in music. Um, and if you look within like you're saying like even the 80s and 90s within the art scene and music scene, you see the the impact of somebody saying I have this money or I have this exposure or I, mm-hmm. I have this time that I can give you. Yeah. How high can you jump? Um, and it does change the relationship. So you look at companies like Facebook and they pride themselves on having this artist in residency program. Like their entire campus has been artistically rendered by artists. Mm-hmm. So there's Hallways to like four bathrooms, and those hallways have like Mm -hmm. murals all over them, and all this stuff because they bring these folks in. But people are like, "Yeah, it's not art." Yeah, Yeah. it's like art. It's like a weird. Are we recording or we are? Okay, so this is probably just good. This is just chit chat time, or we can jump right in.
1: Okay. Well, I was thinking, you know, some of this conversation probably would be good on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. Well, so we're gonna continue the line of thought. Yeah. This is Chicago art speak. We do have on. a guest today. We do. We'll, hey we'll you, yo! All right, we'll. Int, I'm going to introduce our guest, and then we'll introduce our guest again. Yeah, yeah. That. So sounds good. We have our dear friend Zach Crump here. We'll say more about Zach, but Zach has his hands on a lot of different kinds of things, mm-hmm. and in, a, in a, a wonderful and surprising way, I think. For some, yeah, you may find it surprising in a good way, which, which is, is why welcome. we have Zach on. So, yes. hey Zach, welcome. Yeah, dude. Yo. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to keep going real quick. We do have play. the return. <laughs> we have a co- code red. <laughs> code red alert that's right um, <laughs> yeah and we have a listener who um really wanted code red to be on uh and called code red his name's connor so yeah connor, <laughs> thanks for the um yeah thanks for the the tip on code red because it makes sense right now we have a code red alert cody spice is here That's cody, right. you're back i'm back you're back from we, we we could decide if you were petting a coyote or taking peyote with ken gilbertson in new mexico and then you clarified for us you guys accidentally ran across a coyote and you were able to pet it yes were you oh, ever t- i
2: i misread that i thought you ran over a coyote i think the phrase was ran across the
1: coyote on peyote okay, that's,
3: with ken
2: <laughs> yeah it was that's a, different
1: then it was an event but was that is that because you touched ken's seat you didn't do it volitionally no i didn't it do it the coyote was doing it uh, okay it was the coyote on peyote gotcha <laughs> man <laughs> okay.
2: i i I am so lost. I didn't even yeah. I couldn't I couldn't read any of this. well you had a
1: you you know, you went on a pilgrimage with Ken to see Georgia. I think O'Keefe's. the
3: confusion is I said I went on a trip with Ken. Yeah. And you took trip
1: in a different okay. direction. All right. Well
2: this <laughs> I mean, makes sense. Well when Ken gets <laughs> back
1: in trail. When Ken gets back into town, we'll ask him to verify this story. But sure. we're, we're glad you're back. You see, I'm, I'm
2: glad I made it back.
1: Yeah, you're safe. <laughs> yeah. You're sane. Good luck so. with that clarification. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. So anyhow, so Cody's here. Cody Spice is here. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Doctor Mill, is always. Yep. Um, And we were in, in the middle of a conversation on um, art and music and partnership and sponsorship Mm -hmm. and like, and I was going to say that, um, so kind of jump it back around. This maybe would be a way we'll just jump into Zach after this, but um, yeah, it's like, I don't want to say this too loudly and I don't, I don't have the precise words for it, but I suppose that. There's some kind of risk space that has to be present Mm -hmm. um, for artistry to 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 be to be deemed so by said audience, Uh, you know, like Jack's Oliver Jackson, you know, would say repeatedly coming up. It's like I make paintings, I make sculpture, I make stuff. Art is what other people say about it. They Mm. they call it art. I'm not worried about that. I'm I'm trying to make this painting or that sculpture or that thing. And I'm not preoccupied with whether it's hard. that's for historians. That's for whoever else they can, they can debate that and decide. And so if, if there's any merit to that, Mm -hmm. then some of that must be decided by some kind of intuitive ratio of risk to outcome, Mm -hmm. which sounds horrible to say it that way. Cause that, that almost do you want to put your
2: metrics on me, man?
1: Yeah. It sounds like you're quantifying (laughs) something that is elusive. And and difficult to quantify. But if we had to talk about it, it's like um, that's why public art typically doesn't really resonate as art. is because there's almost no risk of.
2: Well, by the time you've gone through the sanitation process of the whole thing, what you get is a there's no risk whatsoever, which means that there's probably no there's no like communication. There's no, you know, and I don't mean that in terms of like form function stuff. I mean, like in terms of like it doesn't speak to a person that doesn't it doesn't move you it doesn't do the things that we expect art to do yeah we have the element
3: also within artistic practice if you're defining risk there's there's the monetary risk which is primarily what people think about yeah but in other times and places
1: risk and for everybody else that's the most boring inconsequential to them (laughs) thing like you're like i'm not i'm not involved with that so i don't care
3: but then so you're sort of talking about like how does art get made in a way that there's real stake? Yeah. Um, like there's stakeholders, there's real risk, so there's a possibility of some type of failure which makes the event a success meaningful in mm-hmm. a certain way.
1: And we I, a, I would just go back and add, it's not just that there's a possibility of failure, it's that there's a possibility. It's it's that there's a possibility for what it will what it will do. That is yeah um, so not even just a possibility of failure i would say even more so uh it's a it's it's that it op- um, it's kind of like when somebody that you don't know who seems a little edgy walks into a room um you know like things get crazy they, they bring a, an air of possibility that is outside of your realm of expectation
3: mm-hmm.
1: so, but yeah. yeah i mean i would just say that the
3: the world that we live in means that that possibility includes risk, and risk implies negative event.
1: Oh yeah. So yeah, so yeah. like. It's but like, I'm saying from an artistic uh, standpoint,
3: it's maybe not required. So maybe negative possibility is not a requirement. Yeah, for that's the not the chief event. thing.
1: What I'm saying, the chief thing with artistic event is going to be like, uh, what does it generate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the, what? Is, what is the gap of generativity between known and unknown? And if that gap is really tight. Um, then it becomes so. This this becomes a, a, like an economical mindset. Then you're like, return on my investment. Like, mm-hmm. is it going to recover the cost? Is it going to actually get us over the hump? Are we going to make some money off this? Mm-hmm. That's a totally specific set of factors mm-hmm. that, when driving the product too much, oftentimes makes. I mean, this gets into audience, like so. It's like this gets into like pop music or big blockbuster films, like the audience is specific therefore the way you can calculate for this is a little more specific but but like historic expressions of art that just you know like sub pop records was not big yeah right yeah dude i haven't but, heard them in a minute yeah so so in Nirvana's sub pop records no yeah yeah so um there wasn't big money and there wasn't Any of this like real consequential economic failure there was just like here's a here's a kind of organic sound
2: happening a small town in seattle dude yeah it's i mean um you have the same thing over the Beastie boys right they're doing their thing yeah already yes nobody's having to like craft them into a sound no right so they're literally having concerts for their like 15 year old friends as like these little like annoying junior high, high school kids in bombed out buildings in old school New York. Yeah. And then they can go make their art, but it's yeah. already there. Yeah. So, so take, take Nirvana. So,
1: so they same same with, B- well, maybe not. Cause like BC boys are harder to emulate. So, uh, Nirvana has a sound and then there's some other people that have a sound and it's reverberating. And so the sound catches, Waves with an audience because it is such an affront to like glam rock. Yeah. uh, Hair metal, you know, uh, stuff coming in, coming through the eighties. And so um, it's such a firestorm and it has a kind of um, authenticity to it because it's not being manipulated by these uh, investment categories. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no sanitizing, manipulating. So what it, what the authenticity does is it explodes and forces people to have to kind of like adjust and start to then bring this sound into their um their record labels and then they deal with risk investment um but the artist has a certain kind of i mean you know that's the thing it's why Kurt Cobain struggled uh with fame because it started to create expectations that he didn't want to have to answer to. Because he wanted to just make the music he listen, wanted. That's not why he started. That's not why he started. So it's that's that's the tension between like, um, and the the effect of what something does is unpredictable. And then it 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 filled a gap that was so big that even the artists were like, "Well, this got bigger than we wanted." Yeah, you know. Um, it feels like I don't know as I listen. There's there's the money
3: stake risk conversation, and then maybe within the art specifically, there's also the personal relational community stake risk conversation where if there's an alternative way that communities that are creating maybe like that that small pocket of you know west coast um you know where nirvana was popping off or how hip hop was coming to its own and, and rap and things like that were There wasn't a lot of money in it, but there was like a community of people that was engaging and making things, and there and that was the paradigm in a like social relational way
4: Mm -hmm. that
1: was driving senses of risk or success. Yeah, or I mean, that's what drove the East Coast West Coast thing. That was all propaganda by (laughs) like Vibe magazine and like putting creating these pressures that then the rap artist started to have to live up to. You mean we could sell uh, more albums yeah, and more make, magazines? Yeah, you make friction. And, Crazy. And, and then Tupac and Biggie end up really dead. you know. Yeah. But um, the but hey, we got back. a guest uh, on who <laughs> probably would love to talk about rap music with us. <laughs> yeah, but dude. also, so we have Zach Crump. Zach, you are, uh, what's your official title with physical therapy with PT work? Um, what are you? I'm a uh,
0: doctor of physical therapy and um a locomotor specialist
1: okay so doctor physical therapist, not local. train related yeah not train related Log, local local <laughs> locomotor locomotor chaka yeah chaka <laughs> chaka 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 yeah. Chaka chaka. yeah and so then and then so this is I and mean, this is why we wouldn't want to have you on um and then you have uh you have spoken word projects and work that you do uh poetry and then you also uh make hip-hop CDs yeah. hip-hop music Mm -hmm. So, and then you collaborate with people. You're always, uh, one of the things I love, you're always collaborating, you're always bringing people in. You're always platforming other people with that work. So it's interesting as a doctor and PT, you're platforming people. And then (laughs) as a musician, you're platforming people. And then I think the spoken word from what my experience with it's like very um, somewhere in between those two points. It's like voicing or inviting or enveloping, but it seems that it has a, a kind of personalness to it that is distinct in the equation of these so we wanted to have you on because we've had some great conversations with you or i have uh regarding like creativity in your pt work and then like knowing that you have set the the satellite experience of making outside of the pt work and this is our you know you were having you on in our entrepreneur series because um it you know and we can jump off from here and you can kind of start chiming in but uh, in past conversations you know it seems like your, your place of work has afforded you a decent amount of creative space to pursue and research ideas and take leaps. And you know, there's probably real consequences there, you know, real opportunity, real risk, kind of in the way that we were just talking about money and who's investing in grant money. And like, so, um, stirring the pot up, is that, is that enough? Is that enough to kind of, do you feel like that's a fair analysis of, of, our uh, way of welcoming you, um, just to kind of plot the terrain? I, I feel welcomed. Okay. I'm ready to walk the terrain. Okay, let's walk the terrain. Let's <laughs> let's locomote. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so where do we want to jump off with this, man? I, I kind of want to get into some of the
2: the stuff you're doing with your. Yeah, I was gonna say. Abby, first things first. Like, I, what the heck does that mean? Like, like what is yeah. a what, do you, like, what does I your know. day look like? What do you do? Yeah. When
0: I, when I talk to physical therapists, I have to um, like when I give talks, I have to explain what that is. It's like. So it's very team. specialized. It's it's very specialized. I don't know anyone else in the country that has that as a title at all. Um, there's sometimes they have locomotor teams that mm-hmm. are designed to help people walk again. Um, you know, that usually consist of a therapist and some rehab technicians. But um, and I, my position is actually not the only one. There's one that's for arm recovery, like if someone's had a stroke mm-hmm. or, um, also for like seating and positioning. So someone can't walk again, like how do you get them in the best fitting, um, wheelchair that they can. Mm. Um, so at the, essentially the, um, if you wanted to give it like one sentence, a locomotor specialist is someone that, um, takes what is evidence is supporting for walking recovery and bringing it from the lab to the ground level where therapists are working with real patients in real settings with real constraints. Um, and it's the, the role is essentially saying, how can we take what research says is good and how can we bring that to therapists and put it in their hands so they can do it? Like mm-hmm. what, and that goes into resourcing like technology. What do we need to research that actually benefits like the clinic and not just something that happens in a lab? So. Yeah, that that's essentially the role in a nutshell. And there's there's it, surprisingly, um, there is a lot more like people interaction and people skills that comes outside of patient care than what you would think. Mm. It, it's a lot of like understanding like what makes other therapists tick mm-hmm. and how they do things. Um, and, and so that's been one of the neat and challenging things about this role. Like, it's actually, there's a, there's a whole lot of, like, understanding who
2: you work with that I've never been challenged with to that degree before. Yeah. Well, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. So I think that the thing I'm thinking about is you're talking about kind of this uh, relational system that's kind of at play, which feels in some ways similar to kind of maybe even how you're approaching, like, the individual body as interrelated system that kind of works together. So if something's off, something else is probably compensating. And if that compensation is there, then it probably can't do what it's supposed to do at a hundred percent. Um, is there, is, is, there any sort of like, I don't know, does that, does that make sense? Or does that jive with you? Does that sound kind of like how things work? Um, so it's,
0: there's, there's aspects where like you're looking at, um, talking about compensation and recovery, and that's like a a separate deal on like the the interventions you use to help someone so like with your brain for example um if you were trying to relearn how to pick up something with your impaired hand there are things you can tell the body to do and ways that you try to compensate for that movement that actually would cause your brain to compensate in ways that would be detrimental to accomplishing that task wow yeah so movement matters um, and, but there's also restorative ways where you could, how you could instruct someone to do a task and use certain pieces of technology where that's repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing you would do if you had full use of your arm. And that's actually create system, um, create systems in your brains that like wire together, um, that, that lead to res- restoration. It's, I mean, it's such a cool job. You, you can literally watch someone have a flaccid leg and all of a sudden you see them move a toe and take a step and you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And it (laughs) never gets old. Doing it 12 years, never gets old. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, And it all comes from how you like resource, like how you use your resources, and the type of therapy you give. Um, You know, just like if you're making a soup, Mm -hmm. you put something wrong in the soup. I mean, it's just like, we've gone from good to to awful. Yeah.
1: Therapy's a lot like that. Mm -hmm. So Um, what do you, what's your knowledge? I mean, so, so I guess the, one of the questions is like, you, you're, so you're a doctor, so we got two doctors today, which is really exciting. Is this the first? He's the PhD. I'm a clinical doctor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I like I like that. There's two ways of. We've got two right now. That's right. There's yeah, still yeah. two doctors. You got do- a PhD do- in front of your name. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> highest distinction. <laughs> highest distinction. Uh, but I, so I, you know, I'm, I, I just like smashing this. Hey, by the way, did you see when Whoopi Goldberg was like saying that Jill Biden, she Jill is, Biden, needs is, to be this uh, Surgeon General because she's a great doctor? And they're like, they're like. On the view, they're like, don't, no, stop. They're like, she's a doctor in education. Yeah. Then, she's not a medical doctor. <laughs> oh. and she's oh, like, whoopee. but she would, she'd be okay. Like, <laughs> be I was like, Same it's, thing. I was like, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, cultural faux pas right there would be messed
2: yeah, it's, up. Yeah, it's always a favorite story. Uh, the, the, the guy who was the, the professor and his, his mom was a uh, Eastern European immigrant and had kind of spoken broken English, and she'd always introduce him, and she'd say, this is my son, the doctor. Hmm. He can't help people. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> an academic doctor, <laughs> <so> frank, <laughs> Just can't like, help anybody. He <laughs>
1: can
0: teach them. He can. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's so that's so good, dude. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's, that's So you have your education, right? You like you you go through and you get educated. Yeah. But then you come into this job, and it seems to me that there's a very a myriad of variables ahead of you in terms of like the way people are injured or what kinds of um, physical problems are happening and and how you come to the best possible soup scenario right Mm. and so i guess that's one thing that i'm I'm wondering about and then how active is your research because to me it's like 12 years is a a lifetime in terms of technological advancements our understanding of the gut the brain i don't know man like so i just got questions about that like what's that been like how do you how is your how are you staying current? And then especially in light of the fact that you're saying you're like one of one in some ways.
0: Yeah. Now, um, I'll, I'll say um, every when I first I've worked at one place my, my whole career and I'm literally like the product of like where I work at. It's like it's it's a unique place, not in a sense of like you don't realize it's unique. Um, until you like step outside and you go to like other like national conferences that are trying to figure out how to do like a lot of the things we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's really just because of a uh, really good leadership. So when I came in, um, when you think about, um, how do you care for people? Well, usually the first way you take evidence and synthesize it is it's called a clinical practice guideline that informs like, Hey, how do we, how do we do this to help someone get to here? Mm-hmm. Um, And my first year out of school, um, I'm sitting in a room with about four or five other clinicians. I don't know if you guys have ever had that moment where you just, you felt like, uh, I don't, I shouldn't be in this room. Yes. Um, Yeah. Right now. uh, Yeah. (laughs) 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 But they, they sit, they get in the room. And they're talking about like a clinical practice guideline for using all this advanced rehab technology, like robotics, body weight support systems, electrical stimulation. And I'm sitting there um, listening, and they're not just talking about those things. I've been out of school for six months at this point, and they're talking about like they got the schematic diagrams out, they're writing algorithms and like flow diagrams about how to use this thing. And and they look at me and it's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm just trying to think. I don't even, I don't even know, like what's your, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just trying to get my notes and answer my emails. Um, but they saw something I think in how I practiced that they knew he's probably a little bit behind where we're at, but, um, we want a culture of this. And so we're going to actually bring him into conversations and bring him along, even though he may not be able to contribute like Mm -hmm. a ton on the front end. And that's literally every stage of this past 12 years has been someone taking an interest. Almost like you have an idea and man, I I can't say enough about like the people like, you know, if you're thinking about art, music, and even healthcare, the, the people that take an interest in your ideas you know, I'm always thinking about. All right, I gotta. I want to reach this audience and reach these kinds of people, but it's the person that like you're talking to in a room that you're like, "Hey, I got this idea," and they're like, "You need to do that, or mm-hmm. you you should you should really like think about keeping that going." That I've had someone at where I work at um, that has been that for me at every stage of when mm-hmm. I've done something new, whether I was just treating patients and then doing clinical research or then trying to, you know, work on, you know, getting programs developed and things like that. So that's been the big thing, man. Just pe- literally people taking an interest, um, people listening, uh, people asking
1: me good questions. And that's, that's been the catalyst. Wow. Yeah. So, so does that, um, a, a, as you get uh, reinforcement and investment and you know, people vest- invested in you, interested, um, bringing you in, um, does that escalate? your or expand your willingness to risk in your vocational space like in in terms of how you think through problem solving um have you seen an escalation in willingness to explore out of the assurances that you've been given prior to that yeah so i mean so research is like a creative
0: space Mm -hmm. like first and foremost like if you don't have an idea you can't do it so i'm I'm wired like that, like just from the music side. It like one of the neatest things is I, I feel very little disconnect from how I'm at, like with you guys here and how I'm like at home versus what I'm like and I'm in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's, re- it's really weird and really cool because there's so much like space to create and do things and mm-hmm. like create research that's actually relevant to people. So the um the drive to create's always been there. Like, I, I felt like that's just something that I've been writing, freestyling, and then consuming research, trying to learn. What's hard is, like, you, you know, like, if, if you've ever, um, you guys ever had that sensation when, like, you're sitting in a room with someone that you respect a lot and they actually, like, are into what you're doing? just like, man, I, I could take the world over. <laughs> you yeah, know, like you, you yeah. feel like that mm-hmm. because you know how good this person is that's sitting beside you. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, all right, man, I can run through the wall. And then you start to lead something and then they're not there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when you have to like really get to like understand like why is what I'm doing matters that's not contingent on that person being there. Yeah. Like why is it good just for the sake of it being like good hard stop, Um, and, and that's what's, what the drive has been. So mm-hmm. I've had people kind of walk up and say, Hey, this is good. Um, they've kind of w- walked me through the process a bit, but then eventually, you know, they're like, okay, I got another meeting. Um, you got it planned out, you got to take the reins and you got to roll with it and I'll be there for you to ask questions, but I'm, I'm not gonna do this for you. Um, and that's been like, a, that's also been actually really helpful. In regards to creative spaces, because then it's not just like, hey, you got an idea, put it on the ground, do something with it. It's just like, okay, now now what does this look like for five years? <laughs> yeah. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah, therapists typically don't think like that. Most therapists are like, Hey, I I gotta get in, treat my patients, but we don't often think what what does evolution look like for me as a therapist when I'm forty years old? Right. Right. You know? And so the, yeah. the process is super important. Process, yeah. You got
2: Yeah, I was gonna say I don't that doesn't sound that that different than Conversations I've had with folks in the past, uh, within like specific art spaces, where it's like they they know where they are. Possibly they know where they want to be. Like maybe like you know at the end of their career. But it's like, well, what's it look like in six months or five years? Um, and I got folks who are just like, yeah, crickets. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> sweat. Yeah, sweat. <laughs> and it's like you know, I was I was reading up on a on a a designer for uh, another episode we're gonna do. And, um, you know, I'm always reminded every time I look at like an artist or designer and I read about their past, like how unsexy the first part of their career always is. And also how large Uh, it is. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like what they did was over and over again, more or less made kind of like standard graphics to be used across any newspaper in the country. And they did this for eight years. And it's like, that's kind of what it is, right? I mean, there's a lot of like sticking to it, honing the craft, getting good at what you do so that you can have that almost muscle memory of like, oh, I can do this thing at the moment's noticed. Mm-hmm. And then I can start picking up more. Um, yeah. In a way, I mean, it, it kind of sounds, it seems like the way that careers kind of build within creative spaces are not that different from kind of how like muscles are built in the human body. Yeah. In terms of like you start small and you just keep doing the same thing
0: yeah it's a it's a discipline it really is and you'd be surprised that the things that work the best are for for patients are like it's just there's not a magic to it it's just you got to have the right dosage you got to have the right intensity and you got to have the drive to do it over and over and over again to get the outcome
1: you want so it's a high level of patience Patients on urine, not just patients. Oh work yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the word play. Yeah you, yeah, 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 you suck. I mean, Bars. It's gonna be hard for <laughs> Zach and I not to break out into a rap battle because we've had impromptu rap battles for like a decade, I think. So I don't know. I'm even prepping in the car. You were prepping in the car. I, I was like,
0: I didn't know what it was gonna be like. But I was like, you did, I, yeah, he yeah. could, he could just walk in and be like, all right, pick up the mic.
1: We're yeah, going. grab the mic. We're doing it now. <laughs> that, that's a paywall. Uh, that's our first paywall (laughs) it's me and zach rapids speaking of uh, money and economics and music (laughs) that's right (laughs) there it is Um, man i want to get into some of this real like um we're always ebbing and flowing and talking around the technological uh, elephant in the room did you say talking around yeah talking around talking we're, about it was like i don't know if we've ever talked around it well we, <laughs> <but>
4: <laughs> what we've <laughs> expressed harsher
1: opinions in, in and <laughs> off mic than on okay the, yeah we've been talking around <laughs> it you're right you're right we're, we're talking around it yes. you know we're talking we're at mics right now they're technolog- <laughs> so um you know we were just talking about technocracies and uh you know there's the transhumanist uh agenda you know future and crazy smart city that uh uh the, that was a dude this vision of collapsing cities into like lines and building up in mesh between walls so you'd live like i don't know it like let's i make it up let's say it's a hundred it's a 200 foot high you know one mile is this like width. the chinese
3: mirror city thing
1: yeah, I don't know, man, don't but know. but um, and then there's like solar energy drawn to the wall. So it powers everything, but it protects you from like flood and like and they're like trying to build this. So anyhow, I'm just so there's always this these like ideas for solving the uh, the most immediate problems, but they always have future tense implications for where we're headed. So, you know, and I'm not trying to dump that on you. Like we just had a great conversation in the past about technology and like yeah. suits and what is a human? and yeah, oh man Lord. it's messy and i don't, I don't want to get you any kind of trouble you know where you, where you can't say certain things or something like that you know no. top secret cia stuff you know working for the government i don't know no you know, no, we, exactly. we, we
0: pay for all our technology and they, they'd be happy if we're to promote it so. yeah that's right <laughs> no. yeah you no. Know, so
1: but uh so you had so i guess what i remember is we had a great conversation at my house and 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 you know i felt like just what you were doing was really anecdotally like for me was helpful for me to have to wrestle even harder with the state of affairs that we're in. Cause it was like, I couldn't outright just like discount what what you're doing, you mm-hmm. know, like it was provocative. So yeah. Yeah, so what are, you, what are you up to with the robot suits? And
0: yeah, man. So um, we're actually in the top 1% in the country. It's a, it's an exoskeleton that you wear like a backpack that can be used for people that can't walk at all. Like no no muscle, literally no function below their neck essentially. Mm. They got to be able to hold their head up Uh, and it can, you can walk over ground full weight bearing with it. Um, And if you actually do have some movement as well, I mean, it can cover the span of people that have volitional movement and people that don't have volitional movement. And so we're in the top 1% of the country of like, um, of for that particular robot um, uh, for people that, for using it. Yeah. Um, So that's been really neat. Um, And there's a team of people that's part of one of my roles is um, technology adoption, essentially trying to work through. Um, We got this really cool. Someone invested, (laughs) someone invested in getting this technology. And one of the worst things is that it's just collecting dust in a corner. So Mm -hmm. part of the role is like, how do we use this in a way um, that's helpful and good? And so um, I think the conversation we had was I was telling you about a patient that was um, a young guy uh, uh, gunshot mm-hmm. um, and was paralyzed essentially from like, you know, um chest down. And when you look at this robot, it's like black. It looks like it can belong in the military. You wear it like a suit. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like in my head, I'm always like nervous when people first stand up that haven't stood on their feet or walked in like, you know, four to six weeks when they were used to like as a, you know, twenty-something-year-old doing whatever. Like, man, what kind of like? How does this affect someone's headspace? Like, yeah. you're standing, but you're not really standing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I so I stood the, this guy up, and I, and I was just asking, like, hey, how how do you feel? And he said, human. I feel like a human.
4: Mm. Mm.
0: He's wearing this like eighty to a hundred thousand dollar like robotic exoskeleton on him on his back, but he's like. I, I feel like this is what I was born to do. Hmm. And there's something that that hit me there. I was like, That's yeah, heavy. yeah, yeah. It's like just, just the act like we don't know, like now there's lots of pro- research and evidence about like what's someone's prognosis after they have like an injury to their spinal cord, you know, about walking and certain kinds of injuries lend themselves to the less, a, a worse prognosis. And he was in that category. Hmm but he was like i i just am so glad to be actually on my feet and moving and he was like it's this actually feels normal you know it's crazy like you got a a, you know a hundred thousand dollar robot and, he, and he, he, he's like, he can participate. He can help shift his weight. He can He's not just like a, a static, hum, like a, a blob in mm-hmm. there.
1: Um, but just something- And so there's like, a responsiveness and then it's the robotics are mitigating the weight of the exoskeleton itself. Cause I'm imagining this thing is heavy. It's about um, 55 pounds, but okay. yes. Not as heavy as I thought actually. So yeah. that's, that's amazing. There are others
0: that are actually, uh, that you can actually buy on the market. Um, that people can purchase that are about, uh, you know, light, lighter like twenty
3: three. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's
0: crazy. Well, so,
3: you, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to ask. Um, do you use this device as a therapeutic device while they're inpatient, or do you, in the sense that you use the device to get them to a place where potentially they don't need it anymore, or do you just sort of use it? With the understanding that, like this gentleman you're talking about, you can put him in the suit. He can have mobility, but when you take him out of the suit, he's not going to have that mobility. And there's not really any expectation that he's going to get to an increased mobility state. And then he's going to discharge, and his life is still going to look
0: like managing without a device like that long term. Yeah. So the the like when you're talking when you ask that question, it makes you think about the continuum of care. Mm-hmm. So the answer is yes to both of them. So like you're using this and for some people it's like a piece of gym equipment. Mm -hmm. Like they have no other shot of like standing up walking and it becomes something like a, like a treadmill or something that for them, Mm -hmm. like they're using it just for the cardiovascular endurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I I mean in, in like a spinal cord injury, for example, like your, your muscle tissue transforms the fat tissue over time it's super Hmm. crazy like wow yeah like so the muscle like if if it remains flaccid and everything the actual skeletal muscle will turn to adipose fat fat tissue and you can have someone that has a spinal cord injury that's you know six feet 130 pounds because everything's atrophied but they can actually be classified as obese because of the content of their fat yeah and once that Hmm. happens D- d- Man, I'm like does for a jock
4: right now. I'm just getting scared because I'm just
0: sitting at a desk every day
4: now. Oh. I'm serious. When
3: that transition happens, can you work that fat tissue back into muscle? Or is that like a once you head that direction, there's no coming back?
0: I, I don't. There are, there's lots of evidence for different pieces of technology that say they can delay that they delay the atrophy of it. So, but the importance of it, that's why to your question, that's why it's so important to get it on the front end. Mm -hmm. There's actually like where I work, there's, you know, the, the hospital, then there's the outpatient, there's a community-based center, Mm -hmm. um, that has all the same technology we have. So for people, you know, it's a per DM cost. Um, that's, that's not outrageous, but essentially it'd be like paying to, it be going to a gym for people that have neurological injuries. Mm-hmm. And so the same technology mm-hmm. they use with me, you know, four weeks after their injury is the same technology they can be using a year after their injury. Um, so the introduction of it's super important, even if the walking doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And also there, there's really, there's really weird and cool things that happen when you get up and you exercise hard and bear weight through your feet. Like it actually can help with like sexual function mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for dudes with, um, spinal cord injury, it can help with the regularity of someone's like bowel and bladder. Mm-hmm. Um, depression is less. Bone health is better. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, and and they may get all that without ever being able to walk
3: yes. by themselves. Yep. It was really interesting. So coming from a background where I used to work at a company that um, provided non-invasive ventilation and invasive ventilation technology to patients with neuromuscular diseases like ALS and uh, muscular dystrophy. We also did COPD patients, but I was more on the non-clinical paperwork office insurance side of things. But um, just a lot of discussions with the therapists, and for a while my company had um, did power wheelchairs. We were doing tilt-in-space wheelchairs for your patients who were completely paralyzed because of ALS. Um, it's just really fascinating to hear about these sorts of technologies. And I know muscular dystrophy and ALS are a little bit different from injuries yeah. because you're understanding there's um, with ALS it's just sort of a Awful. automatic yeah. just decline path just that you can mitigate against. And that was what we were doing within the non-invasive ventilation space is how um, similar to how these um, these exoskeleton devices could help someone who would never be able to walk themselves and there's no expectation that they're going to be able to walk themselves, but it can still help them exercise certain things. Mm-hmm. That The ventilators had the ability to help expand and contract the lungs in such a way that was more natural to what you would be able to do. Um, So that way these patients who slowly had diaphragmatic failure and things like that eventually would still be able to get full lung expansion, which would prevent things like infections and obviously help with just the overall respiratory and cardiovascular health. So it's really fascinating to hear about these technologies and thinking about how they could help someone, like potentially with muscular dystrophy, who get them to a quality of life through the regular outpatient procedure um, or activity that they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise, especially because for a long time, the best case scenario has been, let's get them in the most comfortable wheelchair they can have so they don't have pressure sores and things like that.
0: And they've got wheels that they can navigate around, but that's probably the best we're gonna be able to do. Yeah, I mean, there's like this idea, where like, especially if you're in healthcare, like the the, the idea is like we need to normalize disability, um, meaning like you know, and, and I think the the, tr- the good thing in there is that we're that they're saying um, we need to stop looking at people weird who are wheelchair users. Right. We, need, we need to stop yeah. like looking at them differently. We need to treat them just like they're any other person and not, um, which I wholeheartedly 100% agree with. Um, I know our seating positioning specialists would you know, amen that too. Mm-hmm. There is an aspect, though, where you can't, you can't, you can't wipe off restoration like that, mm-hmm. that, that feel, you know. And Cody, you probably, if you asked someone that was on ventilation, like, hey, if I could say you'd be off that and walking the next day, would you take it? Oh yeah. You can't wipe off the desire for restoration. So even even though people are like, you can have people that are super, um, that are in a wheelchair and that can do that do things that are amazing and mm-hmm. good. If you ask them. Yeah, you know, we ditch that thing uh, yeah. tomorrow, and actually, if like, you could. If you could. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." So this is idea of like even like we. The, so I'm saying that because, you know, you stand up in a in a robot, you're like, "Oh, I, I feel, I feel, I feel human. This feels like the human thing to do to be weight bearing through my feet and walk." And he, in the back of the mind his mind, he's like, "I may never walk again." But for this moment, like, I, yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm standing on my feet and it's like restoration is, just, it's like, it just, it's calls. Now, now some people stand on their feet and it's like, they're standing on their feet, but it's like, this is depressing because I know I can't do it myself. That's a real thing too. Yeah.
1: yeah, uh, yeah I could imagine that. Like, cause you're experiencing the disconnect. The cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just the, uh, you, you're, you're standing, but you're also, you're not standing. Yeah, in that, those are brought so close together, you know, thin, very thin distinction between those two points in that moment. I can Mm -hmm. imagine, and then you have to cognitively deal with like it's me and not me. Yeah, yeah.
3: Because depending on your prognosis, people undergo a a sort of psychological grieving process for the loss of capabilities. So they 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 go through like, okay, I'm processing the fact that. I may never walk again or I'm probably never going to walk again, or I'm never going to be the way I was before this event happened. Um, and you know, it feels like a loss and they have to process through what that loss is and what life's going to look like. And especially when it's really close after it happens, I imagine there's a lot of uh, confusion and um, anxiety because things maybe haven't really landed where it's gonna be long-term for them, so they don't totally know what to expect. So like, am I yeah, gonna be like bedbound? bed-bound? Am I gonna be, you know, somewhat mobile? Like, we don't yeah, really know yet. Of
1: agency, dependency, Who's gonna autonomy. take care of me? How am I yeah. gonna afford this? You know, yeah, a, lot a, of, a lot a a of lot factors. Lot of, that's a lot of factors, man.
2: Although, mm. well, when you were talking about <clears throat> kind of the, um, what it is that people do in the day-to-day, um, it made me think of a process. And I think that within a space of physical therapy and within a lot of creative practice, I think there are ways that, um, people who aren't practicing those in those fields, um, kind of view it. So like somebody might come to you and be like, Oh, cool. So, so your job is to get people to walk again Mm -hmm. or, you you know, and that's it. Like, it's like, Oh, your job is like put a piece of art on the wall. Yeah. And it's like, no, that that's the potential outcome of my job, but my job is different because it's in the making or in the research and the practice of things like that. Um, So that when people get into that those fields and start actually doing the work, I think it, it's difficult because the the external definition of that field and the internal reality of it are very different. Mm-hmm. So, do you see like within like with somebody coming in? Is there is there a like, is, it a, is there a helpful space where it's like a, the daily reminder of like, hey, your, your work is not to walk today necessarily, but it's like to get that toe moving or to, to bear some weight mm-hmm. or to be able to shift. Like, is it is there are there more discrete tasks that you can focus on that make that easier? Like, is it easier to focus on the work? Does it help patients more if there's that focus on the work instead of the, the outcome?
0: Yeah, so there's, so, well... There's this whole thing you mentioned autonomy Mm -hmm. and there's this, you know, there's this thing that's kind of like all the rage right now with um, neurologic PT. It's like essentially it's about motor learning theory Mm -hmm. and how does someone learn how to do emotion after they've lost it? And part of the, um, the, the, you know, you used to be able to say like, you know, all right. um, I was saying to Ryan, like, all right, Ryan, there's a box in front of you. I want you to shift your weight to your left. I want you to pick up your right foot. I want you to touch your toe on the box. I want you to pick your foot back up and put it back down on the ground. And you would, and that, that's the process, right? That's mm-hmm. how you do it. Yeah. And that's how you're explaining it to somebody. Uh, but they've actually found that to be like detrimental for learning mm. be, because you're telling the person the exact same thing to do over and over again. Um, whereas if you were to say, there's a box in front of you, put your foot up on it. And what would you have to do to
1: do that? All of that stuff. Yeah. You'd have to do all of it, but you wouldn't have me telling you. You'd yeah. have to... Because that's how we originally learned. We don't... I mean, you know, right. and the, the the how-to and the theory or the over-explained, it's, it's all... It's autonomic and in some ways it's intuitive. It's like... So that makes sense. Yeah, I
3: think about like my kids when how had a walk and we
0: didn't... We didn't yeah. do yeah. the toe to the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Alexander, you're not... You're not clearing your foot. Yeah. Right? yeah. You got, yeah. You got, you're <laughs> almost giving
1: too many... On the front end, too many points of consideration. Oh man, now this is getting into like concepts of
3: language learning, seeing overlaps (laughs) there of like language acquisition, first language versus second language. Like, yeah, immersive. How does that work if you could say there's a language to moving your body? Like, how we intuitively learn how to move it the first time, and then do we try to relearn? The same way the second time or do we say no we're adults we have cognitive structures that we can learn in different ways the second time as as like a bypassing
1: mechanism so so just get back to
3: that point it's it's been found to be more successful to just say put your toe on the box and let the person figure out how to do
0: that with their current capabilities Largely in healthy populations, and that's and that's the key. There's some initial like the seminal paper came out in 2016. So the, the research on it for people that have like actual neurological impairments is pretty, pretty limited. But for people that are like learning like a novel task, like swinging a golf golf club, you know, running or something like that. The interesting thing is, and I I think this is one of the things that that love to hear y'all's thoughts on. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on it. I feel got other things, but the one of the things that's interesting is that um, the idea of the theory is that you want to increase someone's intrinsic motivation, and the way you increase someone's intrinsic motivation is by liberalizing what success is. And they've even done research studies where they've said, "Okay, we've taken you know middle of the road runners." And they they're their experimental group, and then you take another group of middle of the road like runners. And you tell you don't really say much to the middle of the road runners that are, you know, not doing anything, or you tell them like, hey, you didn't meet your time. And then you, you compare that with people that are in the experimental group and you lie to them essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm using a gross term here, and probably people listening to this would be like, It's not lying. <laughs> and that and that's it's a conversation. That's a conversation. <laughs> but like what it, what essentially is that they told them Hey, you're doing a lot better running than most of the people your age right now, and you're, or, or you're doing a lot better, and that that actually may, may not be true, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but the idea was those people that believed they were doing better, they felt better about their running, or they increased their step cadence or stride because they thought that they were doing something really, really well. When in reality, they were just probably
1: like you know, middle of the pack. And so the idea. So the question is, is like, by how, how by how much? does what is the impact of that is it significant or is it marginal you know what i mean like in the relative cadence of their run like the stride like time like time base like like if they're running a mile let's say like what what was the increase you know is it significant or marginal Mm -hmm. um would be uh, would be interesting to me
0: the metrics are crazy um because in some of this when you get actually like in the psychological side like some will show like if you're um for example if you allow a person autonomy to make a decision the metric for them being like comfortable in that decision is that they're less anxious and the way they measure anxiety is they have them write their name and the more anxious someone feels they'll write their their name like larger mm-hmm. well Th- that that that's the metric that's the metric. <laughs> that's the metric yeah so if you like said hey i gave someone autonomy to make a decision and you, you you had them write their name. Their name was they're, what they're, their name was normal. Graffiti on the back of a wall. <laughs> <Yeah. Ryan>!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what graffiti art is. Expressing they're, it, they're they're just, just so, so kind of cultural anxious. cultural anxiety. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, um, I think there's something really interesting. I, I like the term liberalizing of success because I think that is a conversation we've had on the podcast about mm-hmm. like you know kind of because uh, we, we've talked about like rethinking success or career and things like that where. You know, again, you know, you're not you're not gonna be Basquiat, right? You're not gonna just be immediately kind of subsumed into a blue chip gallery status place, and then upon your death, you will have some of the most expensive paintings that ever existed. Yeah. Right? Like we're no one's hitting that. All right? Um he Basquiat already did. He's got that place filled. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. Statistically rounds to zero. Right. <laughs> Statistically rounds to zero. But you know, if it's something where you want to um Launch your own small studio and do some stuff. Great, Mm -hmm. if it's uh, I got my job and I want to to do I want to keep continuing my creative work, whatever it is. I'm going to do that on two Saturdays a month. Like there's not there's not failure, like explicitly Mm -hmm. in choosing one over the other. Right. It's a it's a much more holistic conversation of how it works into something. And I think that if you if you go into just like empty like smoke up your butt encouragement. Like yeah, that's one thing. But I think encouragement towards the understanding that the definition is actually bigger than your care, your like caricature of it. I think yeah. that's a really that is a conversation that I think we,
1: we yeah should have. It is, have a, a, it is a cultural moment we've been in for a while in a more generalized way, which is like encouragement because it's important. But also, like there's like other factors, I guess, so like the standards being lowered and the the quickening or hastening of the runner running better, mm. but to a lower standard, creates a kind of...
2: Yeah, it's like you're running better because you are running. Yeah. <laughs> because nobody is, so well, therefore, yeah. you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, because yeah,
3: I really wonder if you if you did that study and you said, we've got our mediocre runners who are just running, no mm. intervention. We've got mediocre runners who are being told they're doing better than they actually are. Mm. Does that cause more motivation? Do they actually start improving? Yeah, It would be cool to see what a third group looks like which is mediocre runners who are receiving mentorship and coaching that is honest to where they are but then says hey this is where we want to get you let's work you there and then do a long-term like where does everyone land at the end of a year in terms of their times for a mile or, or uh, their consistency with maintaining a schedule of running at least three times a week
1: yeah you know there's things like that. yeah that's yeah because i was gonna say something similar and throw in their char- character so it'd be interesting to focus on a person's character yeah, and see how their character changes their ability to deal with difficulty and uh the reality of of where they're really at which would in part be achieved by what cody's talking about so it's like how do you encourage the character of a person to enlarge within its frame such that they
2: improve but then also uh the initial intrinsic ability that would allow them to improve more quickly than somebody else who maybe has a different sort of intrinsic ability. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, this, this kind of sounds like a conversation we had at one point about uh, art and how we can understand uh, success in it. Well, yeah. It's really interesting.
3: So I kind of want to <laughs> take a survey of the conversation so far because I feel like there's some really interesting plot points and overlaps. So we started the conversation. Are you, are you trying to Cody clarify? <laughs> Cody, did you, are you clarifying?
1: Hello. <laughs> We'll see after
3: I'm done. <laughs>
0: so, that goes with that?
1: Hello! Oh, man. That was it. You just heard Did it. You'll <laughs> you have to loop back around. <laughs> it's, a,
3: it's a thing. Um, we started talking about music and how there's musicians who make, and then there's producers, and the relationship of that, and, and how there's Dr. Dre. Yeah, that's true. So there's producers, (laughs) and then there's maybe more like you'd say industry producers, executives, things like that, determining. Okay, this person has made something. Is this good? Who's the audience? All that stuff, Mm -hmm. and we were kind of highlighting there can be a tension between the drives and the motivations of the producer versus the maker. That's there. Then you talked about your experience of being a physical therapist and having people come alongside you recognizing that you had certain capacities and capabilities that were valuable, which gets back to some conversations we've had about soft skills versus technical skills. So you got brought into conversations that maybe were a little bit outside of your technical range, but a mentor, not a producer, not someone who's coming to you because they're like, I can get something out of Zach, but a mentor figure came in and said, there's something here in you that I want to develop and I want to see you grow. So we're going to bring you in these conversations. We're going to give you these opportunities. Um, and then that connects with, as a physical therapist, are you producing an outcome in your patient or are you mentoring them towards something? Um, and now we have this conversation about like these, these populations of runners where they're getting lied to and saying, things are awesome, or you just leave them by themselves and see what happens. Or you say, hey, we could mentor you and there's some objective criteria that we're gonna be in relationship with and help you understand yourself. But I'm not just gonna mechanically move you through these motions because I have some outcome that I've decided in a detached level is what I prefer. I'm gonna come aside as a mentor and an expert and work with you mm-hmm. to get you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's, not,
2: it's kind of like apprenticeship versus university. Thanks for clarifying, Cody.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I feel like the, the natural flow <laughs> of the conversation has been very Good interesting. Time. Yeah. that we sketch out all these different things i feel like there's a lot of
1: overlap going on mm-hmm. well one of the things that yeah so one of the things that it circumscribes which is uh what is a <laughs> what is a human being
4: human, <laughs> human <laughs> being
1: i mean you know you're yeah. starting to get an implication of a uh, greater or lesser or a good best good best optimal however you want to variegate that but like we're getting into these degrees of relative goodness What is best? You know, you may have like decent, good, best. Yeah, like fried chicken, um, which has exactly. Gosh, I could go over that right now. Um, Which it has an assumption built built into it about what what you're you're tending to, which is in this case people.
0: Yeah, there's a in that same theory they have, which is super cool. They have that actually have an epistemological statement in the article about what's their grounding, their ideas. And their whole their whole thing is behavior, human behavior and humans in general takes is is affected by societies and in context. So societies are what determine human behavior. Where you live at is so what term determines human behavior. And um, and so we're just a product of where we live at. And and that's what it means for us to be humans is largely like the context we find ourselves in and the people that we're around. And because that's true, it means that because um, I'm a therapist who's a human and I'm working with a patient who's also a human, that that there's ways that I can relate to that person because I'm a human that, that can actually influence them towards certain behavior because we're just all influenced by what we're around mm-hmm. so um it's like one of those things that I, could, I can go half in on it i can go i could go half not on it um you know but at that that's the that's their definition of it it's just like hey we're just a product of being placed in a context with certain people around us and that so we're just what, kind of random yeah we're just we're Randos. just yeah we're just our human behavior is really based on where you live you,
1: you i live, love you know how that theory falls apart though tell it well it it has to you you as long as you never deal with the or, or like what came first mm-hmm. you know as long as you what just came put, first like, a human or a society yeah like as long as you it, it like it it um at, where's you know where's the accountability where where did it start Um, uh, what produces what and then how is it codified or how is it how does it move what is it like it's uh it's like a smoke and mirrors assumptions like don't look at don't ask those kinds of axiomatic those kind of originating questions because because then we get into a whole whole conundrum that we can't really answer to mm-hmm. because you can't you can't um how do you say it you can't like if you say what is a society mm-hmm. well it's a collection of people in a given place with a given set of value i don't know a given set of values conducting themselves a certain way and they're influencing each other well what influenced those people yeah yeah so it becomes an infinite regress yeah yeah so you just you you keep regressing and so it works as long as you're dealing with what's mostly in front of you but if you look back if you look into it and look back it's it's not it's not thick enough Mm -hmm. to deal with the weightiness of of the way humans interact with each other was that
3: um was the context of that study more of like a sociological or was it more in the medical context?
0: It's medical. It's an opinion paper, um, but it's—I mean, it's almost like a, a scoping review. That's probably okay. a better way to put it. Um, but but yeah, that—and um, here's the thing, you know, like I always wrestle back and forth in my head. Like I, I want to understand those deeper things, and it's super important because it's like you're you're gonna you're gonna catch the implications further downstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but most times especially when you're in the medical field you're just like hey I want to do something that works that helps my patients yeah, and, and we're just and we're, and we're not um yes and, and you're and you're not we're not thinking often about the, the practical implications of it and you know I think there's a um there's space to help us think deeper as clinicians not all clinicians but yeah. you know some are just very much like the uh, pragmatists you mm-hmm. know just let, let me get in and do it and Keep it moving. Well, yeah, it's um and that's that's
3: why I asked the question about what the nature of the paper was, because in context of the field, that epistemological statement could be um revolutionary if it's a field that primarily is thinking about persons in terms of very utilitarian mechanistic uh, outcome base, like this is how a body works ideally, this is how a body's not working these are the mechanized pragmatistic steps that we get body from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're done. Next body. Um, And so to, you know, however well argued to pitch an idea that humans are not just bodies, but actually relational beings, and they're large, very much shaped by other human relationships, which can include a lot of intangibles, not just how well a particular joint or muscle or combination of those is coming together to do a certain motion, that by itself, without going much deeper, could be something that could be very big in changing how a therapist thinks about how they're interacting with a patient. Because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is not just about a pragmatistic outcome. I need to think about this person in terms of how I, as a therapist, humanly is relating to this person, my patient, humanly and can maybe rub off and influence certain types of positivity or hope or... Um, Perspectives that might help my patient move into the
0: next phase of their life, whatever it looks like after this particular injury or event. Yeah, it's like a narrative. People, yeah, pe- people happen in the context of stories. Yeah, That's what you're, yeah it's not just like nuts
2: and bolts it's a story. I was going to say that feels like the most positivistic way that to take kind of that definition of human is like uh, at one level there's uh, because we are in societies because we are kind of to some level, um, you know an effect of those societies um that means that we necessarily are relational from step one so we have to move into that um which you know makes me kind of ask you know, you mentioned it earlier um but we haven't gone into it too much but you talked about how kind of like relationships and like relational dynamics and things like that were much more a part of the job than maybe you thought in school or something can you talk a little bit about that like what is what does that look like how do you think through how these relationships work how do you how do you navigate those things? Uh, because I don't. To me, and knowing you, it doesn't seem like those relationships and building those relationships, maintaining them, keeping them, is actually much different from like how you might see kind of like helping someone through physical therapy. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the
0: so there's a um, there's this paper that came out. It wasn't a PT paper, but it looked at there's four different types of clinicians. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially four different kinds of people. When I tell you the definitions, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have people in your head probably that you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah. When you think about like clinicians, the first one is like someone that um, is like an opinion or thought leader. You don't have to put any gas in the tank. The gas is in there. The engine is revving all the time. They're reading things. They're building things out. They're gonna develop the program. They're gonna do it, and you don't got to do any prodding or anything. You know, uh, this is in relation to like, um, clinician to clinician interaction. Mm -hmm. A second type would be someone that's like a, just a, a grade A follower, you know, like they, they, they're they're not like passively following they're, they're, they're listening to what's being said, measuring what's being said, they're not going to go pull up an article. They're not going to go do it. They'll partner with you in something, but they're not going to be the seminal thinkers on it, but they're, they're down to ride, so to speak. Um, the second is like the third is like traditionalists. These are folks that um, may have went to school 20 years ago and they're like, I'm practicing like I went to school 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're they're just hey, that in in the physical therapy world, the the phrase is, well, this works good in my hands. You know, so it's like, whatever the intervention is, it it could be outdated, you know, but it works well in that therapist's hands. So they're like, you know, why why change, why why rock the boat? Um, And then the last person is the pragmatist. In this person, um, uh, the redemptive good side of it is that they help clinics run very quickly, efficiently, and smoothly, but their their main goal is what, what jazzes them about their job or how to do is how to do things efficiently, like expediency. Mm-hmm. Like how do I get in, get out, I've got an appointment at 4.30 or I've got a happy hour at five and um, I gotta make sure I see all my patients, get all my notes done so that when that time comes I'm out and I'm I'm gone, and so in in my workplace, all of them exist, and all of them relate super differently to evidence, right? And and, and trying to implement <laughs> things, yeah, like so, like you you know, if you if you're trying to say, hey, you, you may have to get someone on a treadmill, and you're probably going to sweat a little bit to get their legs moving. They're like, Yeah, that means I can't document while I treat someone, Um, that means I'm going to have to leave work later, (laughs) you know, and, and legitimately there could be like a, they could have like a legitimate reason why they have to leave work, but you also have a patient in front of you and you got to think, what do we do here? Mm -hmm. You know? So like all those things can exist. And like, you know, and so like that, that's the, that's the relationship process Mm -hmm. right there. Like you, and a lot of times when you're talking to people, like you are looking at, you know, not everyone fits into those boxes, but in a real way you're thinking about, how I speak to this person, how I talk about evidence, um, in a lot of ways is going to have to be. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a wisdom job, and I don't always do it super well, but it, it, it but I think about that all the time, man. It's super hard to. So, who um, are you, Zach? Yeah, uh, well, I tell you, I probably started as like the the follower, mm-hmm. and I, put, I probably put myself. I, I don't need much, you know. I don't need much prodding. Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah, usually yeah. I need someone to put the brakes on for me. Right. Um, you know, or say, hey, you've, you've, you've done this and, uh, and, uh, you don't have much, um, framework built up <laughs> you know, because he's like, yeah, let, let's do this deal. Let's, let's start it tomorrow. And like, well, uh, do you have anyone to help you? Like, no, I'm going to trailblaze it. Like, okay. Well, um, to you when you feel burned out <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, That's really funny. yeah so yeah that's that's the big thing so. hey
1: so maybe so this is we we always have our chakra art spaces. is known you know it's important for artists to both know know and be known by each other and you know, a lot of times people struggle with one or the other like you know it's like i want to be known but i don't got the time to know people i want them to know me but i don't got time you know like that's that was sort of the idea is like Back in the day, you know, that, that I used to tell people that, like, you got to do both. That's what this is, you know, this critique space we were doing. And, and then um, another kind of cheeky th- summary that I've, I've kind of coined or said is is, uh, is to go make art with and for your friends and then go make more friends. Which is a way of saying that it's, it's a way of keeping things in proportion and keeping you actually knowing and making for uh, the people that you you actually know. And, and there's an inherent sense that you should be getting know more people or as life unfolds there's a mission there to uh, know folks and be known by folks etc you um are working in this space with colleagues and patients um but also you're doing uh you know your spoken word poetry work mm-hmm. and then your music and you know i remember you surprising me by you know you bought a painting of mine and then you brought it to, yeah. you brought to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking about like, th- there's like a thing with you doing things like that. That's surprising to me. That was totally surprising to me. Yeah. Um. What's What's the mindset there, man? Like, that's that's just.
0: Did I tell you that story before? I don't know. I'll know, no. I don't know what you're to tell It's It's a good one. Uh, but the, to answer your question, like, you the, can tell it if you want. Yeah. yeah so I, I had a piece of art that mm-hmm. I got from Ryan. And I was giving this talk on self-reflection and so, um, I, you know, the, the whole idea was like I'm supposed to give this like, you know, 90-minute talk. But I wanted to kind of like at least give like a, you know, 15, 20-minute deal and make sure I could say it concisely. Cause you talk about self-reflection, you can lose people pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, especially people, clinicians. People self-reflect their way out of paying attention to the talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, let me, you know, like not everyone's gonna be super jazzed about a 90 minute The pragmatists talk. are like, man, I've got appointments. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, how does this help me treat patients? Uh, I don't see it exactly. So, um, so I brought in like one of Ryan's paintings and I, I held it up and I said, um, the, the whole thing I was trying to get at is uh, how you defines what something is like your own personal definition of something assigns like the value you put on it. So I held up the painting and I said how much would uh would you guys uh pay for that? How, no I said I said first of all what is it? And, and people were, t- <laughs> some people were like super frustrated. Like I'm trying to eat my lunch. I, I'm, trying t- I'm trying to type while you talk, and you're asking me to look up. This is this is this isn't going to go well. And and so they look at the painting, and you know, one person says, oh, "Kind of looks like an avalanche," um, you know. And then and then some people, and then one person goes. It looks like a fifth grader did it. <laughs> 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 I think I think I think my I think my my child could just you know put some painting like that and just rub it into to a piece of art. And I was like I was like okay, how much would you pay for it? <laughs> the same person goes, uh, not more than five dollars.
4: <laughs>
0: Dollar per grade. <laughs> I think we found the practice just in the <laughs> <end>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, so not not more than. Um, Not more than five dollars. And so I was just like, I was like, yeah, but I was like, but look, um, if you look at this, can you see how there's different like textures on it? And can you see like how the lines had to be cut like really straight? And can you see like how like each thing has like a certain definition and how there's like chaos in the middle, but clean lines on the outside? And some people like you just lose them because you're like, yeah. you, you've just left the, the left the practical, and you're talking about things that I can't touch and what's in front of me. Right. Um, but there is an aspect of like um, we all kind of get that, right? We don't want to be treated as people like, um, oh, you're, um, you're like you know, say, <laughs> oh, you're 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 a rapper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, like that's a, you, I'm, I'm thinking about trap music right now. So you, he probably does trap music and he's white, so he probably doesn't know what he's doing. So, yeah, yeah. you know, like there's like those, those <laughs> Really thing, quick
3: categorizations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But if you actually get up on something, I, that's what I did. I told him. I was like, yeah. you should come and put your nose about three inches from this and just like, and just like look at it. Right. Um, you know, and. Which it's, is super great because this is exactly what it's made to do. Yeah. I mean, so it's
1: just cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So the idea of just like, you know, like there, there's an idea where, um, you know, what we do because we work with humans is an art form too. Yeah. And, and the idea of like, you know, you, you you can't really treat other humans well if you're not very self-aware of the type of person you are. Yeah. And, and art has a way of drawing that out. Mm-hmm. You know, music, you know, visual art. It's got like the the painting starts, you know, interpreting you in a lot of ways. And and i enough. the girl that said that um, it looked like an avalanche. She's like an avid like snowboarder and enjoys like a lot of outdoorsy outdoorsy things. And so it's like, um, you know, like the um, art can be a way to interpret yourself. So that's why I see the value in it. And like like building the two together because, you know, one of the most frustrating things can be a clinician who's not very like self-aware.
2: Yeah. you know and and well we
1: always say that the arts are humanizing so if you're dealing with humans which is why I love that you did that when you did it because it means that you're willing to take a risk with yourself to step forward in that space and like die at the expense of an artwork that you you didn't make yourself you know what I mean like you're literally walking it out and you know just a side note is like those were made to be uh portable you know they were made with the idea of being handheld in a way that's thin so like they were made in reference to like the um sort of the veneration paintings like that are all like scuffed up and they weren't meant to be venerated but they were made with the with the mind of like the way a tv is thin and veneration paintings are thin thin and how they're sort of adored Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of like a interplay there so um i just love that you carried that thing in the way that it's meant to be carried in a way. Yeah. Dude. Um so that's super it's just super interesting. And but I love I, what so what I'm driving at though in that story is like the spirit that can care for people and humanize people and use art to do that in, and, and is willing to stand in front of people and like launch into some spoken word poetry. Like that takes a certain kind of like command and fearlessness um at least from my perspective because i have not done it and i can i can walk up to the the edge of the pool of that and sense my anxiety for these particular reasons yeah so um can you talk about because there's nothing else you're not hiding behind it, no i scratch that you can't hide behind anything else because it's you and your words that's it you know like you can stand in front of the music and and do the music but you can also perhaps feel as though there's an, a a Safety and what the music facilitates that you can't bring. Um, whereas this is like you, you know, I can hide, I can, I cannot be in the gallery. Yeah, you know, I can never answer uh, for what I've made, but you don't, you can't do that. So, can you talk about that a little bit. Interesting. Yeah.
0: We all, y'all do art, art critiques. Is that like a, a school thing? That's, I guess, yeah. once you're out of that. No, like
1: we do them here. No, we do them here. No, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely all about it, man. Yeah. yeah. Dialogue because it's the conversation is a part of the, 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 the effect of the work. Is, is, is it should generate a response in a conversation. So if you think about critiques as uh, a heightened or focused conversation in the service of the artist, but also in the, for the edification of the people in the room, yeah, would be a way of saying it. Yeah, in a real way, if you're not if you're
0: not um, if the art doesn't generate a conversation, then maybe that that itself is a critique in a yeah. way. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I mean, the, and that's kind of the approach for like spoken word, you know, like you, you get up in front of people and you're right, like when I'm, when I'm up there with a band or I'm up there with a beat behind me, I mean, even a beat, you'd be surprised how much comfort that can give you because it's keeping you on pace, it's keeping you on the right rhythm. Mm-hmm. It has a finite start time, a finite end time. If you miss it, there's still ambient noise behind you so you can actually come back and there's some safety there when you're doing spoken word in front of someone, it's like, um, you know, you you have what you're saying and I still have a hard time with eye contact when I'm on stage. Like sometimes I'll just, I'll, I'll zone out and it's not zone out, but I'll I'll close my eyes just for the sake of clarity. Mm -hmm. But it's still hard for me to like, look at someone dead in the eye, like while I'm doing spoken word and attend to what I'm saying and Mm -hmm. also like just look at them. Um, but yeah, like the ability to, um, To do that means you have something to say, and 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 that's kind of the I've 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 I've, um you know I've always uh, I haven't been too much of a emo driven type of I mean there's like emotion behind it but like if I went by my emotions I'm communicating something that's just emo and but like when you're getting up there in front of people you're trying to communicate something that you Mm -hmm. that you feel passionate about or trying to raise a a concern about an issue Mm -hmm. and 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 to me it's like um, you know, there's that, that's what drives it. Right. You know, that at the core of it, you know, if I'm going to do something in front of an audience of two people, I would still do it just because I think the content's worth talking about Mm -hmm. versus, you know, you feel better about yourself when it's a room of like a hundred, 200 people. But, you know, um, yeah, I guess that's part of how, at least that's how I work through it is like being able to stand up in front of people. The, the, the content has to be the grounds for why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that content should also be what drives the quality of how you do it. Like mm-hmm. If you have something really important to talk about, you should do it well because
1: you want people to hear it. Yeah, you want you want, you don't want the lack of quality to interfere with the content
2: and then yes. and hinder hinder
1: hinder the experience of the content. Yeah, yeah. How, so what came first? I mean, I, I got another question I want to get to, which was how you include folks in your your work. That was kind of where ultimately I'm headed. But um, what came first, man? Was the was it rapping or was it uh, spoken word? Because they're so related. Yeah. So um, shout out to um,
0: Mark Guinan, uh, fifth, uh, uh, tenth grade, sophomore year high school. <laughs> we got done with drivers ed, and he looks at me and he goes, "Yo, crump freestyle." I was like, "What the heck is that?" Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, and I was like, I, I had no idea. He's like, "You take a bunch of words and and you put them together really quickly and, and rhyme them." So I started doing it outside the, the, the driver's ed class (laughs) and I I went to a predominantly like, um, you know, uh, mostly white school. So I've often wondered like, was the bar just lower? was I actually decent at it? Mm -hmm. But you get the, oh, type, you you hear that and, and, and you're like, oh, this feels easy to me. Like I could do this all day. Um, and so I started doing that. I started battle rapping at parties. Yeah. Um. You know, and, uh, and I wrote nothing down. It was all completely freestyle. Started um, burning out my Dell computer by uh, burning like hundreds of CDs. And, like, <laughs> using the computer mic to, to record. <laughs> um, driving my parents crazy. Teaching my uh, sisters how to use curse words, which was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just in there, dude. Yeah, I, was yeah, just, yeah. I was in there, you know, uh, um, but, um, but that, that's how it started and I actually didn't pick up spoken word until college. Gotcha. Um, you know, where like the idea that you could, you know, sometimes you can just hold people's attention better. Mm-hmm. Lots people zoom,
1: zoom in more on what you're saying when you're on a stage with a light on you. So, yeah, it's definitely a different spoken word. Occasions mm-hmm. are definitely, uh, potentially very pointed or poignant, I guess. Like there, there's like, a everything. Culminates on that light, the vocals, and you can hear the air get tight in the room. Yes, because people are really paying attention. So, like the social cues are very um, nuanced and subdued. You know, as opposed like you know, so it's like it's it's like how how much are people pulling in, mm-hmm. and then like you know, with with music or like rap, it's like the op, it's almost like how much are they like vibing? Are they vibing across their they're whole they're body? It's a totally different set of social cues for how to like tune in. You know one feels intimate and in um vulnerable and bare which is the spoken word in a way Mm -hmm. i mean that's the way i perceive it um you know i don't know if i don't have any experience with it so i don't know but um but yeah like when i've seen great spoken word um it it tweaks the room you know it can really or attune the room it attunes the room to the message and the messenger and it's really interesting when it when it lands yeah, you know, like when it really lands. You know, it's almost like you gotta chill for a minute. Yeah. Sometimes I'll ask people at work,
0: um, just because that's how my mind's wired, is like, you, what do you what do you believe about that you'd be willing to like just die for? Mm-hmm. That's how I'm I know I'm that guy. Yeah, I, I'm like that, that guy. guy. I don't do it all the time. <laughs> I, do it, like, I do it more than, the than the I probably guy ask, should. You and Kyle Towers. Yes. They're like Zach problem. I'm just
2: trying try to eat my sandwich, man. That verbatim. <laughs> verbatim, <laughs> like, literally. Yeah, hey Ryan, what are you willing to die for? Uh, that's sandwich, sandwich right now. <laughs> Taco Bell. I mean, you know,
1: if I had to pick a shake for me. my lunch without this conversation, yeah. Hey, here's the yeah. thing, too, dude. When you ask those questions, you have no problem looking people in their eyes, which no. makes it even more serious. That's, that's, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get serious with you and look at you
0: directly while you're chewing on your sandwich. But a lot, but a lot of ways, like that's like that's what drives, like, you know, like y- you feel passionate about something yeah. so much so that you're willing, I mean, you're not literally dying, but you, you stand up in front of people, you, you're you're saying, I'm so passionate about this that I'm, you know, I'm I'm willing to look really dumb in front of you all. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm willing
1: it, to risk it all the way. My social mm-hmm. capital, yeah. I'm willing to risk completely. Like now dying we, to self type things. Yeah. yeah, so you keep getting reps doing that. Has that changed the way you step into those moments now? Um,
0: you know, I used to do, um, I used to go to open mic nights down, um, across the, across the Mayo bridge. And that was like, I was predominantly in circles with people that had way different viewpoints and frameworks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was really good. I think that kind of helped train me to be in front of people that I knew would disagree with me. Yeah. Um. And it wasn't like a an angry disagreement; it was more like just the the silence was the disagreement. Mm-hmm. But the attention was there. <laughs> Dude, you know, it takes so <laughs> much courage to do that. <laughs> yeah. The atten- I mean, but but she. I mean, I, but that's the whole thing. That maybe to take away the, the the luster from it a little bit. Like you're up there, you memorize what you said, and you're like this is coming out here because the, to, to stop in the middle would be just as, maybe just as awkward. Yeah. So it's like, so you're just like, I got three to four minutes of your time and, um, it, it's coming out. And so like, you know, it's kind of like, you're you, going to hear it. You're going to hear it. And, <laughs> and it's, and, you, and, and I may, you know, cause then it's just like, you know, it's almost worse when you sit down and <laughs> you start a spoken word and you're like 90 seconds and it's like, uh, I forgot and I can't get it back. And, um, Thanks for your time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So when I sit down to, well, um, I, I'm going to sit down right now. <laughs> I'm just going to sit down. I, thank, y'all. thank you. That was actually what I came here to say is that I'm here to sit down and listen to you all talk.
0: I'm it's so a, thankful a, for all of you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some circles that get that,
0: that it's that awkward and weird. they would be like, they'll, they'll, they'll applaud that be like, yeah liberalizing success yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah but i guess oh, there's maybe liberals. a little bit of like
3: encouragement like if you're <laughs> in a community of makers where like everyone's had that moment yeah they all get it they get yeah. it they're yeah. 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 like yeah like we understand what it took to get up there on the stage and yeah. be willing to like have that courage and we get that everyone has those moments where it just dies yeah everybody has a bad day yep and so yeah, like that's we're, we're, we're with you in support of your attempt to get better at this even if this incident
0: kind of yeah. like pop down a little bit yeah so. yeah but now it's evolved to the point where you know like a lot of times like i'm you know i'm, I'm in some more spaces where maybe i know people agree and some do, to, to what i'm saying or at least can have some familiarity with mm-hmm. it but you still want to do a good job and that the tension's yeah. always there and also the risk of messing up and it's always there so
1: so what about so what about the music man you're still doing the music one of the things i love is that you you'll bring you i mean you get people in with you that maybe don't even make music sometimes yeah so what's up with that what's the motivation there man and uh, why haven't you asked me yet uh, no, I'm <laughs> uh, a uh real question, question. Um, i want to ask ken i think he's there <laughs> i'll talk to ken we'll get ken ken would love to be on there. yeah, oh, yeah. He's, ken, he'll, he'll ken play will. hard
0: to get on there I'm sure. yeah he's B- busy he's cut,
1: guy yeah he's you know he's busy but he will be back soon he's <laughs> he's driving back apparently so cody did something he he's he wants to come back and tell us about the whole thing with Cody, so we'll wait. Cody you know, we'll find out. Yeah. Great, great. He may have confused me with Cordy. <laughs> and, that is part and, of the issue.
3: Yeah. And so I got just grabbed in. Yeah. So yeah. He was well confused. apparently I was that was confused. partly why
1: he was back in New Mexico was to find Cordy. And he brought you along or you met him there, I guess. You went up there to I was trying to get to old Mexico, but obviously yeah. it took the wrong road. <laughs> right. So anyhow, that's a whole other discussion. So we'll get in on him, uh, but talk a little, you know, talk a little bit about the, um, in, you know, the way you, you, so I, I guess what I'm getting as entrepreneurship series mm-hmm. and you are, we, to tie the big bow is we talked about like risk gaps mm-hmm. for authentic things coming forward. Mm-hmm. And you strike me as someone that is doing that. In all of these spaces now it's not like careless risk it's not like haphazard risk but there's a kind of existential weight to certain decisions that you make so like if you say hey i'm going to bring somebody on who doesn't do music Mm -hmm. um that feels like a similar kind of disposition to standing up doing spoken word or bringing a painting to a pt conference yeah or a certain research that is, is, um, presented to, you know, your colleagues or whatever. And you're like, I want to take the lead on this. We're going to try this out or how you're able to empathize and invite someone to stand up in a, in a, um, exoskeleton suit, because you're inviting them to stand up in the way that you stand up when you, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing, but there is a spiritedness that feels, uh, persistent and, uh, important if that makes sense. So, um, yeah. So just to kind of finish out this talk, I just want to hear a little bit about, you know, the music and the way you include people in that man. Cause I, I, I've always been real uh, touched by that. Thanks man. Yeah. The, the, um, a lot of it is, I
0: mean, I, and this may be a, I'm I'm not sure if this is a good or bad thing, but a lot of times, like when I get in a room with people that, um, are just you know better than me i I tend to be able to follow them well um and learn from them but i also have like a a lot harder time like um like almost just like as a type of art if i see someone that's better at me than doing something i have a real hard time like inviting them into what i'm doing because i think a lot of times they, they they may not have the time or they just don't have like the um yeah, or, or just the interest, or maybe I'm yeah. not, I'm not I'm not you know good enough to be like and asking it, for their time or something. yeah yeah exactly yeah. that that's kind of like you know um, but I've always felt uh, not always but there, there's been pieces where like I've I've been able to take people that you know maybe are doing things as like I'm doing or things that maybe they just want to try to get into it and I've always been. Um, I guess doing what's impossible kind of kind of drives me, and so I guess in my head, like you know, you take two people that are really good at, at rapping and you put them on a track together, you get, you know, you get something that's really good. You take someone that is doing that's been doing something for a while and someone that hasn't done something, maybe you don't get something that's as good, but you actually get a, a you get something, you get something that maybe have longer have longevity. Like yeah. the person that that's doing it can maybe have a space to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that I, I've, I've never had much of like, a, you know, we talked, we started the conversation about a and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I've, I've, I've never had much of a desire to take music to the point where I felt like I was doing it for a living mm-hmm. um, just because a. a for the reasons we talked about, yeah, you know, um, in a sense where, um, certain priorities that, that just take precedence. Certain priorities take precedence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've always wanted to do it. And so, um, and and I, and I tell you, there's a lot of joy too, and you guys probably resonate with this too. Like there's a lot of joy, like when you see someone using, use the gifts that they have Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and they get to share those gifts with others. And, and that's just been what's been done for me. You know, someone saw that with me. And, you know, the same same was with music. Yeah. Recording music. You know, my buddy, uh, you know, good friend Kyle Tower just took me upstairs into his closet studio and we just spent three or four hours until like 1 a.m. just recording stuff I'd written like a decade ago. Crazy. You know, and we didn't do anything with it, but it was just, it was just someone saying, oh, wow, you're pretty good at this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I try to, I, I, I like the idea of having like, people being able to use and exercise their gifts and I like the idea and I, and I really believe that, you know, uh, change is possible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to, to kind of bring the two worlds music and therapy together, there's some ways where you look at growth with someone, even you look about who you want to invest your time in, you're going to look at them and you're going to say, um, they don't have really what it takes. And that's not really the space for this. You know, we need someone that knows what they're doing that can do it competently. And so you know, I'm not going to put the time into you because I need someone that can go in and do this. Mm-hmm. Or you can take someone that says, um, um, I'm okay at this. Or I'm learning how to do this. Um, I want to get better at it. Um, and I'm teachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can look at that person and say, well, I want to invest my time into you because you're here, you're available, you're teachable. And I, and I, I, I would love to see you grow. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely on the ladder. Gotcha. You know, I'm definitely on the ladder mindset. Um, you know, and there's, there's spaces to do both of those things, but I've, I've always kind of vibed with the person that's like, Hey, I'm interested, I'm available,
1: but, um, I just don't, um, I just need an opportunity. Yeah, it's like making space for people, which I think goes into like our hospitality conversations and mm-hmm. space making, and like is so significant. That shock art space is a space that's made for people to exercise their gifts in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, maybe one last—I don't know if you guys got anything. One, one last question I have is just uh, kind of close it out: is how how does your practice between because uh, you, you have how many kids? Four. Yeah, you got four now. So how how um, how how does what they see in you and and Susan, like when they, how how are y'all influencing your kids? Like, do they, do they have an interest in some of this stuff you do? Because they're seeing like, like, you know, you're going to work, but you also like are making CDs and you got like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I know that with all of us, everybody in this room has kids and all of our kids are affected by that. You know, but Gareth Cody and I can all testify to all the ways that our kids just intuitively almost assume they assume certain things because they're around it that mm-hmm. you wouldn't in if you weren't around us. So is that, is that there for you? Is that, um, you know, with music or the, the poetry stuff like, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's aspects where, um, my, my wife, Susan, she is, um, she's not at all like a, a hip hop fan mm-hmm. at all. It, uh, but she is like fantastic at like the things that, um, that, that you really want people to be good at. If you're an artist, like mm-hmm. she's very good at creating spaces that look beautiful. She's mm-hmm. like really good at hospitality. She's mm-hmm. really good at, um, using technology to make things streamlined. She's, um, she's very good, like administrative minded and can create and lead like in certain, um, spaces like, mm-hmm. um, the, the, thing we did for, uh, in the fall. Yeah. Um, like all that space, like she yeah. t- she took a table and made it like a garden. Yeah. Right? And yeah, 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 and it was really it was really beautiful. Um, and so they see that. Yeah, and so like you know that that resonates with some of my kids more than like the music does. Right. Um, the actual hip hop side, um, you know, and and they they know that dad helps people walk. Um, they know that, that dad does hip hop. And and sometimes when I'm like picking out beats and things, I'll put I'll put them on for my oldest son, and I'll say, what, "What do you think of this, bud?" And he'll he'll listen to it and be like, "Well, it's not my favorite." Um, and he he vibes with things with a slow BPM. Uh-huh. You know, he he actually he actually sometimes he likes like the heavy instrumentation and like a slow cadence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes I, sometimes I like that. Um, I've made songs for for them. Yeah, and they know their songs. Um you know, they 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 know, you know, they'll be super encouraging when I'm on stage on stage. Sometimes they'll as I've done more music um with people that can sing, um, sometimes they sing those songs when they're scared at night. Mm, it's really it's that's really, cool. Yeah, it is cool. Like the <laughs> the one um we did this past weekend. Yeah. Like literally he was having like a, a nightmare and he came downstairs in the morning he's like i, I started he started singing the chorus of that song yeah to like mm-hmm. try to like calm himself down yeah that's heavy um and beautiful yeah so the um yeah that's a sidebar but singing in hip-hop i'm a huge huge fan yeah of, of that together yeah. It's, yeah, almost, yeah, yeah it's almost like a a mouthful and then just like a, a deep breath Yeah, singing Singing's a deep breath.
4: Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. Um, that's beautiful. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I think as far as, like, content-wise, I don't think they understand it all. It's a lot for them to chew on, but when you put, like, a a song in the midst of the words, Mm -hmm. um, it 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 can make it really beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mean,
3: I've heard my son, Alexander, four years old, sitting in the back of the seat. We've played your music again and again and again to the point where, like, we'll hear him (laughs) trying to, like, Follow along with the flow vocally, mm-hmm. um, both with the sung parts and with the the rapped parts. Where, That's like, cool. you can hear he's 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 picking out the syllables, even if you know he he can't like fully articulate each word, mm-hmm. um, just because this this the rate and the pace and yeah. you know
2: where he is linguistically. But he loves it, man. I, I think mean. there's also something really beautiful about um in in families or smaller communities where like making is a key part of what they're doing. I think there's something that, you know, none of us have seen yet, but will be the the sort of way where like the, the the words that you're putting together in a certain pattern that are with your children now, like as they get older, they will not they don't they're not gonna leave, right? Those words aren't gonna just disappear from them. They'll have those words from their father as they go forward. And like, you know, even after the four of us here are no longer, you know, no longer above ground. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the stuff that we make for our kids and that we make that our kids like just kind of take inside of themselves, like it's still going to be there. Yeah. Impacting Grandkids. Them. I mean, and that's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's you know, sad. I think that's one of the beautiful, powerful things about creative and art practice is yeah. you like you get to spend a little bit of a life with a thing that you then get to finished. Mm-hmm. And then as it, as it has a life, that kind of risk we were talking about at the, the beginning, like. It gets to go forward and do its thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you just get to have that little part in birthing it, yeah. Maybe keeping it alive for a little bit afterwards. Ken, so. I mean,
1: Ken Gilbertson feels that way with all the kids that struggle to sing along with him with the Christmas album. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not, yeah
0: so Ken, Ken, there's opportunities for growth. Too. Yeah, there's opportunities yeah. for
2: growth.
1: That's that's.
0: He a hasn't great, reached uh, his pinnacle. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'll, I'll
1: definitely. Coming, pad, I'll pass that along. <laughs> yeah, um,
2: <laughs> see if he's available to teachable. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know. And another thing, just to kind of close it out, man. It's like uh, I think about you guys. I love is you've been like faithful uh, supporter and a tender to like Shaka Art Space stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, yeah. y'all are like OG <laughs> Shaka Art Space uh, supporters and you know one of my favorite pictures was uh, your mm-hmm. family here at a pretty big opening two shows uh drawing yeah like at the opening drawing the artist's work which had a was a really impactful thing for the artist yeah, it was very that. meaningful so like your um that's like a i'm telling you like that's the same disposition
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, different
2: context, man. And it's yeah. beautiful. Like Your kids think, posted you know, up in the floor in the middle of the gallery drawing the art like that's no different like, than you popping up on stage being like, hey, I got three minutes of your time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, so I mean, of, yeah. so it's like if we were to, you know, it's like just to kind of close out, man, like it's an infectious thing. But and it's a gift that you possess that sort of grounds it seems to me a lot of what you do. And brings a quality and a consistency to it mm-hmm. but it's like um, I think it's something I would want to just like really put a note on because I think if we're listening and we're in an entrepreneurship series like like think on that mm-hmm. like here's a person with like all the credentials all the credibility you could ask for from an academic standpoint doing academic work but it isn't like it isn't it like you didn't get that in academia like that's like something that is prior to that mm-hmm. and it's connected to being like hey freestyle by the special ed building. You know, like it's yeah. like a willingness to step forward, you know, and then having like a redeemed mind, if you will, redeemed heart, like having a sense of what the implications are for others and then leveraging that mm-hmm. in all of these different contexts to where they start to push on each other. That's truly what we mean when we say that the arts are, hu- the arts are humanizing. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're a, a great mm-hmm. example of, of w- what we talk about when we say they're humanizing and they're pervasive. And so I think you've, your story gives a great picture to that. So we really appreciate you, man. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, this is a good gift. Thank you
0: guys. I can't say how thankful I am for you guys too. Yeah, man. uh, Connect the dots, which is big. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, I I feel like we're probably going to bring you on again in the future for some kind of other big, big, crazy talk on a panel talking about cities and culture. I think you might have a place in that conversation. So I, I, it's cooking. I'm seeing like steam. Keep your ringer yeah. on. Yeah, keep your ringer <laughs> <Yeah>. on. For, <laughs> like, for, like if robots are taking over the city. Yeah, man, we, we didn't get into yeah, that. If so robots today. are we taking over the city, we're we'll coming to you for the yeah, exoskeletons to yeah. help us yeah. out. That's right. I, all I'm seeing is, ro- ro- uh, um, <laughs> what's his name, dude? iRobot. No, not iRobot. Old school 80s. What's the Robocop? Um, Robocop, dude. <laughs>
2: Drop it. <laughs> <laughs> dude, uh, terrible, but great. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much, Zach. We really appreciate it. This was great. Um. Yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. Like we say every time, we love you. You are a fantastic audience. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.